This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Hi, this is Jordan Moorhead, and this is the Austin Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, we have Nelson Lynn on here, and he's going to tell us all about what he's doing in Austin and some of the exciting things that he's got coming up here in the near future. Hey, Nelson. Nelson, how are you? Uh, yeah, top of the morning. Hey, Jordan. Good to see you and good to talk to you again. Can you tell our guests who you are and how you were involved with real estate investing? Uh, well, uh, I run a small group. It's called Subtle Asian Real Estate. We're about 20,000 members nationally. Uh, we do field trips, conferences, et cetera. Um, and then I also consult uh, data science for a few large real estate funds. Brookfield Asset Management is my biggest client. Uh, I run machine learning models for them. And then I am also a syndicator. Uh, so we picked about 200 units, uh, Chicago, Florida, and um, those are our main markets, but uh, actively looking in Texas and Austin, of course. So where I awesome. live. Yeah. So you're doing quite a bit with real estate. You, you're up to 20,000 people in your subtle Asian real estate group. Yep. 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 Wow. That's huge. So before we go any further, can you tell everybody what that group is, how they can learn more about it and yeah. really how they can get involved? Yeah, so Subtle Real Estate, uh, the group is predominantly made up of uh, younger and older millennials, uh, mostly from uh, Asian descent uh, across the U.S., predominantly West and East Coast, but a pretty large contingent in Texas because it's where I live and we've been kind of rallying. Um, uh, the group is mostly high W-2 income, college-educated, um, you know, coastal. Uh, and so a lot of them love real estate, but don't know how to get involved in it because uh, we all come from immigrants to some degree. So no one has a rich uncle that can tell them, you know, how to go through the escrow or title and uh, due diligence process. And so we've stepped in and we've offered our services more or less as a community to say, hey, you don't know anybody in Texas? Well, now you do. Um, there's obviously an element of uh, trust that moves faster because of uh, racial similarities. Um, and so there's a market need for it because uh, typically it feels like um, we aren't easily, it, it's it's harder for us to enter the normal real estate market, uh, especially because you know it's quite inundated. And so it's nice to sometimes be in a community of other people who look like you, who wanna help you out, but also we're not exclusive. We're open to everyone who wants to join. So Subtle Asian Real Estate, we're mostly on Facebook. But obviously, we have a real uh, Instagram, so subtle real estate there. Our website as well exists, and you're welcome to join us for any of our field trips uh, slash uh, conferences. So that's awesome. So it's subtle at subtle real estate on Instagram. At subtle real estate, subtle is S U B T L E, not S E T T L E. So subtle, like the opposite of uh, really noticeable. Yeah, I think yeah. not. Not. Yeah, not loud. So that's awesome. Um, so I know we know each other from a, a mastermind group, and we're both big proponents of networking, getting out there and meeting people and having that community around you. So it's really cool to see that you have 
such a large community that you're helping foster to help people get into real estate investing. You know, we both joined GoBundance because we were into real estate investing and we had gotten to a certain point, but it's awesome to see that those communities are out there for everybody. Um, Nelson, what initially attracted you to real estate investing? Um, you know, I got into it because my mom wanted to get more involved in it. She wanted oh. to buy a single family home cash. And I was like, I don't think that's how you invest, but I also didn't know either. <laughs> yeah. And I ended up uh, having this period between school and work starting uh, where I had three months full-time going into real estate. Um, two months into job, I bought a house. So it took about five months of studying really. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and then from there, you know, just went off to the races. Um, fun fact, if you aren't aware, for example, in the Asian uh, community, people don't trust stocks that well. Um, in China, for example, it's all scams. You know, it's all like insider trading. So no one can trust the equity market there. And on top of that, you don't want to lose your money to inflation and crypto is banned. So the only investment vehicle that you have in Asia, 90% of the time that you actually have control over is real estate. So it's heavily overvalued in my opinion in Asia, but it, like they carry that mentality with them when they come to the US. And so, you know, they kind of dump money into real estate for the same reasons, which is um, this feeling that you at least have control over it, unlike the stock market or um, other asset classes. Control and security. Somebody can't pick it up and take it away very easily. Pretty much, which funny enough, it's it's like a, if you have a communist gun, technically they can, but it feels safer than other other assets that mm -hmm. at, at any point someone could just, you know, flip a switch and turn it around on. Yeah, love it. You know, I know we both love real estate and are big proponents of real estate investing. And we, we both live in Austin. And I know you have a few real estate investments here in Austin, and you're working to do some other bigger real estate investments here in Austin. Why are you interested in the Austin area? And why do you think Austin is a place that's going to be great to continue to invest in in the future? Um, Austin is on right now a collision course, like very far south of what it should be at. I think there's going to be a lot of discounts in the coming future. Um, right now, we're down to back to 2021 prices. Um, all the games we made in 2022 look like they've been wiped out. Um, but fundamentally, at the end of the day, Austin is still... Uh, a massive hub for growth, um, jobs, uh, employment, and just overall education. And so it doesn't really have a competitor in terms of anything on the current US market other than San Francisco, for example, but people are leaving that in droves and the pricing is extremely high. But both of those markets right now are seeing the biggest falls in pricing largely because of this, um, uh, of this fall in the tech sector, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, it's actually, if you look at the graph of where prices are falling, the biggest drops are actually on the West Coast, uh, San Francisco and specifically. And then the closer it is to California, the, 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 the harder the drop. So like, for example, Reno, massive fall, Phoenix, massive fall. And then like the further you go out, you know, Texas has a bit of a smaller dip, even though it's a frothy market. Uh, what happened is all the tech money ran dry. And believe it or not, people still think geographically they want it to be as closer to them as possible. Mm -hmm. So right now, I think Florida, for example, it still hasn't dipped in price uh, depending on the market. Some of them are actually still higher and growing, whereas um, most of California is currently in quote-unquote free fall. Um, I think Bay Area, at least, is the one taking the largest uh, hit, obviously, because of where the market is headed. 
And I see a lot of pain still coming down the way because they've lost a lot of the fundamentals in terms of growth. Whereas I think Austin will still retain many of those. Austin's received many of their companies and a lot of their, their employees. So I think yeah. that helps a lot. So really what you're thinking is, is your prices are, they seem to be shifting more rapidly on the West coast because there's so much tech money there and companies have either laid off employees or they're not giving as many incentives to their employees. So they can't buy real estate in their home markets and then also markets moving out. Correct. Okay. Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here. And I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast, wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing and I'd be able to help more people. Thanks, guys. And like so it. the biggest effect that might have, at least on the Austin market, is that tech employee was going to move to Austin because it was cheaper. Mm-hmm. Might stay in San Francisco because now the pricing parity is starting to match it, right? Everyone's leaving in droves. So a cheaper San Francisco or you know San Jose or wherever their family's from, mm-hmm. it might be worthwhile for them to stay now. Unlike before when they were like, I got to get out of this state, you know? And so that's an effect that Austin might see is, uh, the collapse of the tech companies might actually be impacted because San Francisco is getting cheap enough to stay in for some people. Sure. So, you know, I, I think we, we've we talked about how, you know, prices are kind of sliding because of the, the layoffs and all the other the tech caused slowdown in the real estate market from what you, what you're saying there. Where do you see the opportunity being right now in the real estate market in the Austin area? Uh, D-class assets and then luxury homes. So if you buy right now from a flipper, those are the, uh, for example, those are the best assets that you can get for cheap because someone else did all the work. Uh, I just bought a home, for example, a primary uh, for the first time in two years. Hmm. Uh, This flipper had a 700,000 had spent about 700,000 into it. Um, their note was around 500. I bought it for 530. So in order to save themselves from going to default, uh, they had to eat the cost because their maturity date for the hard money loan was unfortunately in November or December. And they had originally gotten the loan in April when the market was still hot and everyone was like, ah, it's going to keep going for a while. Right. Mm-hmm. So now on top of the equity loss of around 10%, you know, this, this uh, flipper has to get rid of it or else she's going to be stuck with bad debt. And then on top of that, it doesn't cash flow enough because it's too high of a price range versus the rent that it would earn. So if you're a primary home buyer right now and you've got cash, this is the best time to pick up something 20, you know, 30% off. Cause we appraised at 730,000 for a purchase price of 530, which is about wow. 20% under. Right. That's pretty awesome. So this was the, this was a luxury home. It wasn't. It was a flipped house in uh, North Allendale. Okay. Yeah. Love the area. Um, So you found a flipped house in North Allendale, which, you know, like you said, appraised for 730, probably six months ago, probably would have sold for quite a bit more than that. The ARV was supposed to be 900. So, yeah, I don't, I believe it. It It's an amazing area. Absolutely love Allendale. So, if you're a cash buyer right now, there's some amazing deals to be had out there. And what Nelson is saying is, you know, look for the people who are in it for a short period of time, like a flipper or somebody that has to sell because 
what I'm seeing is that people that don't have to sell just aren't selling. And I think it's a really good insight is you just find the people that absolutely have to sell. Yeah. You can um, deal. Easiest way to do it is actually look on just Redfin or Zillow. If they're desperate for money, they've probably got it listed. And then you just see, did they buy this property in the last year in the attempt to resell it in the next year? Mm -hmm. Then you can go into deed records, track them down on the deed of trust because if they went through a hard money lender, you can actually see what their principal note is and the maturity date of the loan, right? So you can see how much they borrowed. Uh, in this case, the borrower took out a $658,000 loan. And then with the carrying costs of the interest rate, uh, it came out to around $700,000 that she spent. Her maturity date was November 1st. And so I contacted her 12 days before you know the, the loan was due. And you know we went off to the races after that. And then from there, it was a pretty... Easy transaction. She, you know, saved her credit score because either way, she's going to lose that equity, um, whether it was the bank or me. But then at least she gets the benefit of keeping her credit score alive for a while longer, right? Wow, it's awesome. I know you're the data guy, and the, the research is pretty impressive there that you did to figure all that out. Oh, thanks. Um, I would actually recommend looking at a few other companies. I don't should I list them right now? Like the ones that uh, I I just had somebody reach out to me recently. Sure. For, for uh, re research? For research? Or if you want to save the leads for your clients, your investor clients can buy oh, cash. Absolutely. Put it out there. You know, if uh, somebody gets something great off this, it's awesome. Uh, there's this company called Doors Development that just reached out. Um, they've got quite a few, it looks like, for sale. There's one in 04 and 14, or one in 04 and one in 45. Uh, they're looking to move quick. So if anyone's interested in talking to them, they, I think they're trying to get out of a loan as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but the easiest way to actually do the research is in the deed of records. Uh, usually it also lists who the lender is. That hard money lender probably gave out more loans, not just to that person. So you want to go through and track every property that they gave out a loan for back in April or May, because now is when their maturity date is coming, right? And so whoever these flippers or developers are, they know they're not going to sell anything in, for you know Thanksgiving or Christmas. So this is actually the best time to come in in the next two to three month period and just say, knock 25% off or else I'm walking because either way you're going to lose this property. That's a great strategy. Really like that. So yeah, that's awesome, Nelson. Uh, with, with all this stuff you're talking about, if somebody is looking to get started real estate investing, because I know you talk a lot of that. So we're talking a little further down the line. You're a cash buyer. You're able to close quickly. And if you're saying, hey, I'm just getting started, I don't have any, I don't have cash. I don't have 700 grand cash or 500 grand cash. What do you tell that person to do, the brand new newbie investor? Uh, get a sugar daddy, problem solved. Get a sugar daddy. If you can't get a sugar daddy, what's the best way to get started real estate investing? Yeah, just be born rich. I don't get it. Why is, why is that so hard? Fortunately, not for all of us. For some people that does work, but for the majority of people who are just saying, hey, <laughs> Nelson, I just graduated college and, you know, I've got a W-2. I make good money, but I want to get started investing in real estate. Yeah. Um, Home Possible is probably one of the best loan programs out there for people like that. Um, you get, you can do 5% down and then qualify the income from other duplexes, quadplexes into your loan as your income, right? So house hacking is still, I think, by and large, the best way to get involved in real estate. Mm -hmm. um, if you're coming right out of college, you know, it's tough right now because you're probably going to get cut first at your job. So I wouldn't say 
you would you should be the person buying real estate at this moment. But you never know if you can get something cash flowing in Austin. I would just jump on it because um, with Austin, I really do think it's going to bounce back. Just the general um, uh, the macroeconomics and like the fundamentals of a real estate market wise. Austin is probably going to recover pretty quickly, in my opinion, in the next year or so. And so if you get the chance to jump on a deal you think is worthwhile, I would do it. But also, you're going to want at least three to six months of reserves. Uh, that means all of your cash flow uh, on top of your expenses, everything you're projecting, you want to at least save three to six months worth. Then you also still need to have the down payment and all the other costs associated with closing and purchasing a real estate property, right? So if you're starting out, you got to have a lot of cash to work with in order to protect yourself from the downside. And when I say a lot of cash, I just mean the three to six months reserves and the down payment and closing costs. If you have those covered, I think you should do it on your own. If you don't, buy with a friend. Uh, now's the great time to partner up with somebody who has income as well. You guys can you know, leverage your risk that way. Mm -hmm. uh, the cost for a duplex is infinitely cheaper than buying houses of the same square footage on you know each side right mm -hmm. like per square foot you're going to save probably 20 percent or something just because it's a duplex or quadplex versus a single family home and so you're going to get a lot more space quote unquote for your money if you just quote unquote, if you split like uh the units with your friends and if they're a smart friend that you're willing to share uh, uh, the unit with, you can rent out the other one and then you guys cash flow together on it. Um, obviously, you have to set up the right protections, get everything in contract uh, to make sure that if uh, whoever defaults on payments, you guys have a way to kick the other person out. And then also make sure you got to have some rules around what happens if the other person dies. You know, you don't want to be stuck paying the only thing yourself. I heard of a fun thing a while back where somebody put out an life insurance policy on each other because they had, you know, maybe two or three homes together. And the idea is that if one of them died, the life insurance policy would be enough to buy out the other partner. So that, wow. you know, not to worry about it as much. That's um, really smart. Yeah. And uh, there's this group called, or company called Fractional who sponsors a lot of our events um, at Southern Asian Real Estate. Um, they designed it and set it up so you don't have to worry about all the legal stuff. You don't have to worry about uh, the loan even, um, they can source a lot of that for you. Obviously, you can find it yourself, but they create the partnership structure to make it easy to joint venture or partner with somebody else to buy a property. And so um, an easy way to get involved is that. And then if you do it, and then you realize you hate doing real estate and being a landlord, you can give me your money because I'm a syndicator and I can spend it pretty well for you. <laughs> so, you know, Nelson had a few suggestions there if you're you're looking to get into real estate and you're new and you've got a, let's say you've got a good stream of income and I'll just recap them here right now. But the first one is house hacking, you know, buy something where you can cover the mortgage with or cover most of the mortgage with somebody else paying those bills, whether it's roommates or renting out other units. And hopefully if you buy it right, you move out that thing cash flows or just give him the money. He's a syndicator. He'll take care of it for you. Or again, you can joint venture or partner with somebody else to diversify your risk in the workload and take on projects without having to wait until you have all the money or you have all the knowledge to get it done. So I like all the suggestions, Nelson. So for somebody getting into real estate, there's so many options. It's not just you have to buy a house, fix it up yourself, manage it yourself. 
do all the work and deal with what's it tenants toilets and termites yeah all on your own nelson will deal with it for you cool so you know nelson i know you've done quite a few deals could you give our listeners some advice on maybe how to avoid problems or a bad deal on something you've seen have you wanted to be part of GoBundance, the tribe of millionaires, but just haven't hit that millionaire status yet? Well, now you can, not even being a millionaire, by joining our new program, GoBundance Emerge. My name's Jamie Gruber, creator of GoBundance Emerge and member of the GoBundance community. And now you can join. GoBundance.com slash emerge. GoBundance.com slash emerge. Use code Jordan for $100 off this 12-week goal-setting program and mastermind that'll propel you to being a whole-life millionaire. Uh, every deal comes down to three parts. It's your, uh, it's the actual deal itself. It's the team and it's the market, right? Uh, one of the three will buttress the other out. Um, I've seen people outperform in, uh, Dallas, for example, but technically they made less income on the apartment complex, but you know, the valuation went up so much that it justified their costs. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they could skip out and pretend that they were a genius and they made a bunch of money, but mm -hmm. really what happened was the market saved them. Whereas I've also seen people go all the way out to, you know, uh, say Cleveland, where you can buy homes for like 30 or 40 grand a unit. And then they feel like a genius because they're getting, I don't know, 20% cash on cash. And then after evictions and all those other issues, you realize it's actually only like eight or 9% cash on cash. And then on mm -hmm. top of that, the moment you hit one major CapEx item, because your rent is so low, but the cost of a refrigerator is still the same everywhere around the country, <laughs> you get spanked and then you lose out on the one to two years of cash flow that you had been saving up. And then on top of that, the property doesn't really appreciate because you're in Cleveland somewhere. And so you know you get to double down on that uh, risk. Um, so I would advise, don't always think cash flow, don't always think appreciation, find something in the middle and make sure you have non-negative rent or non-negative cash flow. This is important because cash flow is king. Rent has actually historically never collapsed in price. It's gone sideways in maybe 2008 or nine. I highly recommend Googling and looking at FRED, uh, which is the Federal Reserve economic data. Uh, even in a city like Detroit, despite home values falling by half in 08, 09, the rent stayed flat. It wow. didn't collapse. And so if you're a landlord and you're cash flowing at that time, you held on and you were fine. The people who lost everything were the ones who took out four or five loans and didn't have the income to back it up because they said, oh, I'm a waiter, but I make a million dollars a year. You know, just let me borrow it and then check the documents back then, obviously. So you're able to buy four or five homes. So the moment you get tight on cash flow, you just let everything go flood the market. And that's what happened in 08, 09. That's not going to happen this time around because we're much tighter. Instead, valuations are falling because of interest rates and affordability more than anything. And so that, by and large, it'll fall, but it's not going to keep falling by too much, depending on you know can people's incomes qualify or can rent qualify. And given where rent has grown around 20%, uh, for example, in Austin, that means Austin can at least support a 20%. Um, so, for example, from... 2020 until 2022 rents gone up like i don't know 30 ish percent mm -hmm. but prices are up 60 you know 50 60 percent so what that means is if we lose everything you know and the values collapse at what price can you make it so that rent can still cash flow to me what that means is rent can probably fall or rent can like stay where it's at 
prices can fall back to like a 30% growth from the 2019 point. And that would probably be enough to still keep the property alive. And so the ceiling exists, uh, no, sorry, not the ceiling, the floor exists for where incomes and where rents can support it. And to me, right now, rent is still growing because incomes are growing. We can actually support a lot of these prices from falling too far. The people who can't support it are flippers and developers because they're not going to generate anywhere near enough cash flow to keep the property. Mm-hmm. And so um, those are things to watch out for. Um, luxury homes, I think, are very cheap, but not specifically A-class homes. Uh, in a given market, you can actually see the difference between how the different asset classes fall and rise. Uh, C-class properties actually appreciate faster, right? It's just obvious, right? And you, you're starting from a lower basis. Mm-hmm. Whereas A-class properties, yeah, A-class properties tend to appreciate slower. Um, but it falls less when there's an economic downturn, uh, whereas C-class buildings fall way harder once the moment the market turns, right? And so right now, the people who are getting spanked the hardest are the people who bought homes like in a T-junction or in a not that nice of a school neighborhood. And it's what happened was for the last two years, everyone was buying anything they could get. Now people are being picky. And so if you at least follow the fundamentals of hey, do people actually want to live here? Hey, is this going to be a good property in the long run? You know, those things have all stayed, you know, those are all going to be there. The people who are getting screwed are the ones who just wanted to buy anything in Austin. And now they can't let go of the property. No one wants to live there because they didn't pay attention to the traffic noise or how many cars are going to pass through constantly or um, how far away it was from everything else, for example. Um, you know, it, it, there's a lot of risks associated with that. Like for me, I think a lot of those Tesla people, those buyers, they're going to get hit pretty hard. Um, there's nothing else out there besides Tesla and they're starting to cut headcount, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas the people who bought near Jollyville, for example, near Apple, they haven't slowed down at all. Like uh, most people are saying tech is falling. Look at Apple's stock price. It's down like maybe five, 10% from the peak. And like, I used to work there. So I still have friends and they're like, yeah, you know, we've slowed down. Uh, this year, instead of 10 interns, we only took eight. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's not much. Yeah. How much? Um, but Facebook is obviously having a really hard time. They're down 14% headcount. Google hasn't done any layoffs yet. Um, and we don't really have much of a presence on the tech side from Amazon and um, Amazon and, uh, and Netflix. You know, of the FANG companies, those two are seeing the biggest layoffs, I think. But also Amazon's only laying off the um, largely warehouse employees, not so much on the tech side, right? So you get the bonus of at least, I mean, well, you're also probably going to fire a lot of the HR people, unfortunately, Um, but they're keeping most of the engineers because that's who makes the money. And they just overhired warehouse people in the pandemic to adjust. And now those people are going back to brick and mortar, right? And so um, once that happens, hopefully labor costs are going to go down because if Amazon floods the market with um, warehouse employees, we can get some cheaper prices, at least on the uh, labor side for service sector jobs. Because mm-hmm. uh, right now, it's the white collar jobs that are struggling the hardest to find their next um, position. And so that's my argument, at least for um, where we are in the market and how to be wary of where to purchase. Focus on your fundamentals, pick a good location, and then make sure that income or rent is going to keep going up in the future because of the first two. Yeah, no, and I can speak to that personally. We're trying to buy a house right now. 
but of course we want to buy it in a good location. But those houses are still selling quickly and they're not taking big price cuts. So they have staying power because they have something that's desirable in the location. That they're, they're, but the, like Nelson was saying, we've looked at some in not as desirable areas, maybe with louder traffic noise or just not so many amenities around them. And they're cheap, but we don't want to buy it because we don't want to live there. So we're seeing price cuts drop on those things pretty seriously. And I've always told people in, in the long run, you want to be in the path of progress, but you also still want to be in a good location because those not so nice areas that if I wouldn't want to live there, I kind of don't want to own the rental property. And that's how I look at it. If I wouldn't live there, I don't want to own it. And if I wouldn't live there, that's probably saying a lot because I'm not too picky. So if I don't want to live there and I don't want to own that rental property because I would never live there, why are people going to buy that property when they have more choices to buy? Well, we'll take 78744 and 78745, for example, in Austin. Both relatively good areas but they're just 78745 is more established and it feels nicer than 78744 one's on the west side of 35 one's on the east so you've got more amenities here on the west you have more around you you've got more cool restaurants and things you'd want to do if there's two houses priced in the same range somebody's going to want the house closer to more amenities and closer to more to do and a little closer to downtown so where are you looking, by the way? Seven eight seven four five. Four five. Yeah. Door, you want me to connect you to the doors development guy? Yeah, it's, we'll uh, uh, we'll talk here off the uh, podcast. But yeah, I was definitely going to ask you that later. It's a brand new development, and he, uh, I, I've got him down to like take a pretty big, hefty cut. I think so. That's an easy All conversation. Right. So. All, All right, right. Hey, let's follow up after this. Yeah, we'll do that. Awesome. So Nelson, you've got the Subtle Asian real estate going really well. You've got your uh, your, your 1099 employee for other people, right? You're just self-employed? Yep. I just do consulting. That's my only thing. Consulting. And then you're doing some syndications. So with so much going on and seemingly everything's going well, I know you've got some big goals for the future. What's next for you? What are your long-term goals and your vision for keep real estate hiring. investing? Keep scaling up. Uh, I was trying to hit a thousand units this year, but I couldn't get anything to pencil out financially, uh, which is great because obviously you've seen where it's gone in the last year. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's actually been like a full 12 ish months since I picked up anything like significant. Um, and so that's been kind of exciting because now I'm like, well, I get the perk of um, trying to buy when everyone else isn't. Um, I'm not tapped out of cash and you know, I can still raise quite a bit, but the big thing for me is be greedy when others are fearful. And so that's why I'm pretty excited to be really aggressive right now in the market. Um, so, you know, that's something I really care about. And then the other thing too, that um, I've been working on is transitioning out of just value add multifamily. Um, I still do it obviously, because it's a great uh, asset class, but at the end of the day, what are you doing besides raising rent on scores of people at once? you know, mm -hmm. all at once, you just mm -hmm. track it up rent. And it's like, great, your investors are going to be happy, the dozen or so people who, you know, are making money hand over fist. But uh, what is the impact that I really wanted to have on the world? And so um, the last two projects I raised for 
I've been transitioning into affordable housing and into um, and into uh, green tech homes. Um, so the big one, I think, is actually the affordable housing one. Um, a lot of people don't know about it, but it's financially very viable. So we went through one of the HUD programs. It was a, I co-sponsored a 280-unit new development here in Austin, actually. Um, and so I'm not running that one. I'm just a you know minor partner on it. But uh, the way it works out is you don't pay any property taxes as long as you do 51% or more of the units are affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Your buyers are still going to pay it at like a 4 or 5% or whatever the market cap rate is. Um, so it almost runs like a normal apartment complex. The only difference is now um, 51% of them are affordable units. Now in Austin, the affordable housing limit is 60% or lower of the area median income. Austin's median income is like $105,000, dude. So that means low income is like 65,000 or less. That's like teachers. That's firefighters. That's, you know, police officers. That's the middle class more or less in, in most of America and Austin. Mm -hmm. And so when people think affordable housing, they'll immediately thinking like, ah, it's going to be a nightmare. Section eight. They're thinking section eight. eight. They're thinking it's going to look like San Francisco, like walking through the streets there. No, it's, it's just normal average middle-class American citizens who just, you know, need, you know, better pricing and especially because most of them are civil servants. Mm-hmm. And so um, it feels good to do it, but also financially, it's very profitable because we don't pay property tax, which in Austin, I don't know if you know, this is like 20 to 30% of your expense ratio. Yeah. You know? and, and that's so, for like 99 years or something, right? That you don't yes. pay property tax <laughs> and that, that <laughs> transfers on to the next buyer. The hundred year contract. Wow. And so, um, you know, we go from uh, a 50% expense ratio down to like 30%. And so you make the difference in the money you lost by getting market rate tenants. You transition it in, by saving a bunch of money on your overall expenses. And then on top of that, you know, half units are still market, but the other half is now tied to wages. So it's not like you're going to fall behind inflation. Mm-hmm. And so you're also never going to run out of tenants because it's affordable housing, right? The list is going to be very long and uh, your buyers are going to be the wealthiest in the world, right? Because they want that government guarantee subsidy money. Mm-hmm. Well, and you the can, tenants are sticky too. I, I very, know, know people who've lived in, you know, there's so many names for it. People call it luxury, low income. I think affordable housing, like you said, has this connotation that, oh, it's a uh, section eight or it's the projects but these are really nice apartment buildings this is like class a really nice stuff prime you know apartments yeah it's locations yeah so the the tenants want to stay there and yeah they're your teachers they're your your ems the firefighters the policemen that kind of stuff and because rents in Austin and everywhere else have gotten so expensive. Some of these big cities like Austin have gotten so expensive. This housing is so important. And you see the uh, city council approves these projects really easily. Very easily. And lending rates are amazing as well. Um, We got a 4.75% fixed rate, three years IO on a construction loan. The building doesn't exist yet, right? Wow. Uh, it's, It's because lenders, you know, government officials, everyone wants these types of programs because it makes them look good, obviously, but also it's a service that we get to do. And as a result of that, we are actually a safer asset class because of the nature of the demographic profile and the fact that it's largely government subsidies that make this work. Mm 
And then on top of that, you get the benefit of saying, hey, I'm doing something better for the world than just raising rents on hundreds of people at a time. Yeah. And for everybody listening, IO interest only is what he's referring to there. So three years where he's paying interest only payments where they're not paying down part of the principal and then favorable terms on beyond that. So it helps them get the project stabilized. Is that going to take around three years to build? Jordan Moorhead here. Really quick, he wanted to tell you a couple other ways you can keep track of us. If you want to listen to all these podcasts and ask questions, the Moorhead team on YouTube is the best place to be. And then Austin Real Estate Investors on Meetup is a great place to keep track of all of our meetups we have going on. It does. Um, so permitted and uh, site planned and everything, It you know everything we do, we do before raising money. Mm -hmm. So the moment the money's raised, Typically, we can hit the ground running, and we started digging literally the day after the money hit the bank account. Wow! And so from there, it takes about three years. It's about um, a one to two year phase for construction. Mm -hmm. um, usually, on average, spend about a year and a half, and then it takes six to nine months to actually fill it up with tenants to ninety percent. Because uh, if you're aware of how commercial real estate works. Uh, the only way to get a loan is with an apartment building is you need it at least 90% occupied. Mm -hmm. So um, it, you know, it's six to nine months to fill it after the one half to two years to actually construct it. And then some hedge fund cuts a big check, buys the whole thing out. And so that's typically the structure uh, under which we construct it. And so the reason for that is the turnover rate on the money is much faster. For example, if you did condos and you have to sell it on the market one at a time, it's actually higher risk. Whereas oh, yeah. with apartment complexes and multifamily, if this hedge fund can get better financing, they're okay with a three and a half, four percent cap rate because they're going to be able to pay off and they want class A downtown or not even class A downtown. They also love suburbs. Mm -hmm. Right now, suburbs are outperforming the cities for like the last decade. And so a lot of these hedge funds are just buying asset classes that they think are safe and they're just going to keep paying at a higher premium, especially given the way the pandemic has turned it out, that these class A suburban apartments are actually doing better in terms of rent growth and appreciation. And so um, the, the, the affordable housing route um, has been something that I actually really enjoy doing because on top of creating new units, we're providing a service for the community, which it desperately needs. So yeah. You cannot stop seeing articles about how bad the affordable housing crisis is. And it's really, it's everybody is struggling to afford a home. Obviously, the the top 20% that doesn't really care so much about money, no problem. But if you make 50, 60 grand as a teacher, a lot of places they don't even make that much. In Texas, you can make pretty good money as a teacher. But if you make 60 grand and you're struggling to afford rent, what are you going to do? But I really like that. It's a great project. Huge fan of affordable housing. And just so everybody knows, like I mentioned before, they're really nice places. So these places have pools. They have all the amenities that everything else does. Because like Nelson said, half of it is market rate housing. So they have to make it nice to attract people that are paying the full rents. So you just get to live there at an attainable price because the city has these subsidies set up. And I really like those. Yep. So... Um, yeah, we, uh, this developer I'm working with has actually built the two downtown Hiltons. Uh, he's done a bunch of luxury stuff. Um, and he just hates it because uh, it's a lot more headaches to deal with the city. So building actually suburban class A apartments is not only 
uh, cheaper, but less like, or, or it's, it's, it's not only like more needed because of where people are moving, but it's cheaper and it's um, less red tape because yeah. not to worry as much about uh, uh, working around skyscrapers and um, the uh, all the all the cranes and whatnot. So, yeah, central district, central business district problems. <laughs> cool. Well, do you have a favorite business or mindset book that you like to recommend to people, Nelson? I know you've done some really impressive stuff and. Where'd you learn it from? Oh, um, uh, I think one of the best books you can figure out, it depends on what you're looking to do. Um, I think one of the best marketing books right now that I've been reading, it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it's called like the Sassy Entrepreneur. Really? Uh, sassy Method. Yeah. We'll, um, get, we'll get that in the show notes for everybody too, just to be real clear. Yeah. Uh, so it's about how to create branding and how to develop your, it's about how to develop your um, marketing strategy to make it feel more authentic, if that makes sense. So, sure. um, sorry, I just pulled up the name again, just to be sure. It's the Live Sassy Formula. Sorry about that. The it was by- Sassy uh, Formula. It's by Lisa uh, Sasevich. Uh, uh, you know who actually recommended it to me? Jason Drees. Um, oh, really? Yeah. He was saying this helped him figure out how to go from like 20% sales at a presentation to like closing at 50 or 60% whenever he's like uh, finished with, with, with like a presentation, right? So I always thought that was super interesting because I'm not good at sales. I'm an engineer by trade, right? I do numbers. So like mm -hmm. talking to large amounts of people convincing them to buy something has never been in my blood. Um, I I typically take a lot of time trying to just form relationships and then convincing them that I'm a real person and that's how I do it. But apparently there's ways to scale up that. And so uh, the Live Sassy Formula was a book that I recommended that I was happy to suggest because it's not rich dad, poor dad, or, you know, millionaire mindset like everyone else would recommend. Um, but it's a way to learn how to pitch your sales. Um, it's mostly targeting uh, female entrepreneurs. Uh, you can tell by the cover and the way it's addressed. <laughs> but, uh, I think there's actually a lot of nuggets that I wouldn't really consider otherwise, because uh, most, at least books written by men are always like, here's the numbers, here's how you do it. But then at the same time, if you do it that way, you're competing with every other person out there, right? Do you want to really, you know, buy and sell against say, uh, what's his face, uh, Brandon Turner, who's got this $100 million business and portfolio now? Mm -hmm. No, well, you got to figure out a different way to do it. And so the sassy method, we will absolutely put that in the show notes for everybody. I'm actually going to get that book here when we get off this podcast. Live sassy um, specifically. So. Live sassy method. Oh, sorry. Thanks for the correction. So Nelson, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you or to follow you on social media? Yeah, um, my uh, Facebook group probably at Subtle or Subtle Asian Real Estate, um, but we're also on you know Instagram, et cetera. Like at Subtle Real Estate is the other way uh, to reach out. Um, those are probably the best ways to contact me, and you know, happy to always help out. Um, but uh, yeah, um, otherwise. I guess we do meetups now in Austin once a month. Okay. Um, most of them are posted there, but our newsletter 
You can find them on too. That's uh, subtlerealestate.com or subtlere.com. You'll find us there. Um, yeah, those are those are the main ways to track us down and figure out what we're doing in the community. Absolutely. That's awesome. We'll have to co-host a meetup together. We do a lot of meetups Good. here in town too. We just did a hot pot last night. We had like 20 people come out. Really? That's awesome. Yeah. So speaking of hot pot, most important question we ask here, what is your favorite restaurant in Austin? Uh, uh, there's this place all the way up by H Mart. It's called Twin Panda. Um, it, it There's like a normal menu and then there's an Indonesian menu. And the Indonesian menu is bomb. I'm like always surprised because it has no business being that good being <laughs> in far north austin i would imagine it would be one of those like downtown restaurants um, but aside from that my next favorite restaurant and my actual favorite restaurant is we're building a hot pot business uh near the 99 ranch plaza in austin um and so if you guys pay attention uh hopefully in the next few months soup leaf hot pot is coming on its way um and we're trying to be uh austin's local hot pot uh chain or business uh, we we uh <laughs> we've done buffets in the past just the the stereotypical chinese buffets where if you've ever hurt yourself for eight dollars eating endless you know orange chicken like that's what we used to do and so this hot pot is something we've actually always done at home but we've never really served to the community yet and so part of what we wanted to do was uh, share what we have with Austin, but also make it feel a little more Austin than most places typically do, and then try to make it pretty accessible to uh, most communities. So we're making it actually uh, very veggie friendly. Obviously, we still have meats and whatnot, but we're going very um, intense with the uh, with the stuff that people understand and not try to branch out too much, I think, mm -hmm. but also uh, maintain like the original flavors that we've got that we usually make at home. And so we're trying to make it a good experience overall, but I would appreciate any tips and advice people have for building a restaurant in Austin, like uh, either supply chain or uh, hiring or uh, all those other important factors that comes towards the operations of a restaurant in Austin, Texas. Awesome. And I cannot wait to try it out. I know you guys have been running into some struggles getting that thing open. So hopefully here real soon and we'll all be able to come there and have a good time. Very much so. So, um, but yeah, thanks again for your time, Jordan. Yeah, of course. So, you know, always, can you re remind everybody your Instagram handle? We'll put that into the show notes. So everybody can follow you there. Yeah. At subtle real estate, S-U-B-T-L-E real estate. All right. So he's at subtle real estate. I am at Jordan underscore Moorhead on Instagram. Make sure to follow Nelson. Obviously, he's doing so many cool things. And make sure to keep a lookout for the Hot Pot restaurant coming up in 99 Ranch area. Soup Leaf Hot Pot. Yeah. All right. Soup Leaf Hot Pot. Thanks, Nelson. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. See you, Jordan. Bye.